Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. Here today with a very special guest, Matt Garrett, Managing Partner at Salesforce Ventures, also a fellow U of M alumni. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to, good to be here. It's a conversation that's been a long time coming. Yes. When we first met, I was doing Rapt FM, the uh, live Skype for rap battles, uh, which is uh, very different well, from what I, we're doing today. I remember the first meeting, and I was not sure about the business, but I was super <laughs> excited about I genuinely was super excited about you, and I knew that I was like, this guy's going to be super successful. Awesome. Well, my rap career is on hold, but, uh, but there's always time. Uh, but, but venture in the meantime. Uh, okay, Matt, you, have, uh, you were at Battery when we first met. Now you have found yourself at uh, Salesforce, uh, Salesforce Ventures. Why don't you sort of first describe the scope uh, that is Salesforce Ventures? What, what do you guys, what is sort of the thesis of the fund? What is the mandate of the fund? Uh, what do you guys look at? And then we can go from there. Salesforce Ventures, we're a strategic investment arm of Salesforce. And what we're really doing is building out, we say an ecosystem of partners, but what we're looking to do is find what are the most innovative companies in enterprise software. And we figure out where are there ways to plug them into our ecosystem. And so we're a platform company. We have the force.com platform that can be on app exchange. And so we work with those companies and we work with our product leaders and figure out how best to integrate them to extend utility, expand the utility of our platform. And so in that case, we're basically making the, uh, you know, the Salesforce platform more useful to our customers. Um, and so it's really this getting alignment between what are our customers seeing in the market? What are they looking for? What are the product GMs? What are they looking for? And where's all the innovation in the market and sort of tying all of that together. Um, and so explain, and I can go in more depth how we do that, but that's, that's really the goal. And so if you think about it, we've been investing in earnest now for about 10 years. Uh, we have offices here, investment professionals here, London, uh, Japan, Australia. So, um, we have about 250 portfolio companies. How many IPOs? 16, 17, 16 IPOs now. One sort of general question that applies to all of corporate venture capital is when you have a company that's trying to disrupt Salesforce or disrupt Google, disrupt, you know, whoever has a, as, as a VC firm, how do you think about that? Are you investing in those types of potential companies? How should startups be thinking about that? Cause usually when they, when they take regular venture capital or non-corporate venture capital, they sort of know that they're fundamentally aligned and that they're both trying to, uh, you know, maximize return and not have some other sort of strategic benefit. So there's a few things. One is I think, there's not that many companies that are coming right at us. I think most of the companies that are, then we don't invest. And, and we even go so far as if we're meeting with a company and we think we're going to be competitive with them in 12, 24 months, if that comes out through conversations, we won't invest. And so we try and avoid any sort of conflicts of interest through that process. But I would say by and large, that's a vast minority of companies in the enterprise space and it's pretty, it's pretty broad. So it, it, it doesn't, so there's still a ton of stuff that we invest in. Totally. What is the scope of, uh, of enterprise investing today? Like, how would you sort of make a market map of the different areas, uh, by which you can yeah. and ha- have invested in? So it started at the top layer and where, where we focus a lot on, on application layer. So 
we look at horizontal applications, things that are adjacent to sales, service, marketing, commerce. And so a lot of what we're doing, like we're an investor in Narvar, which in that case, that that's um, it's a customer experience. It's that Amazon-like experience. Where's my package? When will I get there? How do I do online uh, returns? So it really extends the journey that our customers are on with our products. We also have um, industry verticals as well. So we're investors in, in healthcare, financial services, et cetera. So a good example is a company like Encino. It's a loan origination system. It manages commercial loans effectively. It's a workflow that sits alongside our CRM. So we think about that from an app layer. Then you start to go down the next layer. We look a lot at, so how do you how do you connect data? How do you manage all the various applications? And so we were an investor in MuleSoft. We ended up acquiring that. So that's really a connector between all your applications. We're looking at sort of next generation applications that do that kind of in a whole new way, things that kind of maybe obviate the need for data lakes and things like that. You know, and then you kind of go down a little bit layer. We look a lot at security. We look a lot at developer tools as well and, and can go more in depth on those areas as well. We don't, we don't do a whole lot in infrastructure that kind of gets uh, below where where we play. Why not not as strategic? Or? It's super strategic, but we tend to build there. Yeah. And so the the we think more about the alignment for us is like how do we go to market together? How do we solve joint solutions for our customers as opposed to are we going to be a big consumer of that product? Yeah. Are we going to be a customer? There's some instances where we do that. We were an investor in MongoDB, um, but they're pretty rare. So you've been enterprise investing for how long? About six years. Well, I was at Battery. I did that. So, so call it eight, nine years now. Yeah. How have you seen uh, your thesis and, and sort of uh, the market uh, evolve yeah. in your nine years? So there's a few simple things that I don't think have changed in some ways. There's definitely a lot of things that have. But one of the things initially is we look at... Where is there a new a new buyer that's emerging potentially, or where there, where is there a new use case that's emerging? So one of the first investments I did at Salesforce was Gainsight, and that's where you really saw customer success really start to emerge. Um, we're an early investor in Vidyard. That's um, you know it's a it's a video. It manages video for enterprise use cases. It can store it, manage videos, but then also use it for sales, marketing, services applications. Um, and we kind of saw at the same time this emerging trend of video was really be proliferating in the uh, consumer space. And so then we sort of figured it was going to start to move over and migrate into the enterprise space. We see that trend over and over. We just invested in Alation. We started to see that, hey, these uh, it wasn't just data scientists that needed to be able to find data sets. And you, how do you make data more accessible to people outside of just the data, hardcore data? data scientists, but how do you how do you bring it to you know analysts, business users and things like that? And so once we see that trend where there's like a new buyer and a new consumer of it or a new user, that's that's one thing. Certainly the the movement to selling direct to developers has been huge. We are an investor in Twilio, so we've seen that firsthand. Continue to monitor that. I mean that's that's that still has had a tremendous amount of growth. And I think you know, people have gotten, Zoom's shown this. I mean, we saw a lot of companies that were through demand gen and other use cases being able to sell. Atlassian's done a great job of this, of selling products directly to, directly to consumers and then building an enterprise business on, on top of that. So those, those are a few of the trends. I mean, there's some, some, I'd say newer emerging trends as well. Let's talk about those. Um, I mean, certainly you're seeing the proliferation of like microservices, call it serverless, which is pretty interesting. Um, maybe if you step back from that, I mean, Certainly Docker and Kubernetes have made, you know, moving to the cloud using containers, you know, much more prominent, but then kind of taking that next step when you start going to serverless and start using Lambda microservices and things like that and, and functions. 
That's it's pretty that's pretty new, but we're we're definitely looking a lot at like some of like the headless services, the API driven economy, and how are you know there's still a lot of those applications. If you look at companies like Twilio, if you look at companies like Algolia, if you look at companies like Contentful, I mean they kind of started out as developer first products, but they've certainly started to really have to build out their enterprise sales team. So it's it's still not to the point where it's just like this free market, it's all serverless and it's selling to developers, building apps from the ground up. You're seeing some of that, but there's still a lot of these companies, the more successful ones right now are are are, are really, you know, they're still developing that enterprise sales motion. Totally. Let's sort of go through the, the market map you created and talk about sort of what are the you know, emerging companies or emerging trends with, within each or how you've seen them evolve. So maybe, you know, start the application that we were talking about sales marketing. Maybe let's start with, with MarTech. Uh, how, how have you seen that, that space evolve or what's sort of exciting to you there right now? Well, in Mark, MarTech's been pretty crowded. Um, I think it's, you've seen this continuation of how can I better use data in, you know, I'll call it predictive capability, AI, machine learning. There's been a lot of companies going at that. And so there hasn't been, I think there's been a lot of competition there. So it's been, it's been pretty hard for companies to break out there. And I think that's, that's been the challenge is a lot of people are kind of going after the same things. Several companies have kind of hit a critical mass and then sort of stalled out as that space has gotten more competitive. So that's, that's been a tougher one. Yeah. And there's been a general critique of maybe stats across the board where they're saying that low hanging fruit has been picked. Yeah. And, yeah. What do you say to that? To some extent, yeah, but I still think there's a lot of, a lot of emerging use cases. So I think, a, a, you know, a good use case is sort of the, the inside sales use case. So you've seen sales loft ha- has raised a large round, so has outreach. And so again, it follows that same trend. They, they identified who's a new, what's an emerging trend? Who's a new, who's a new buyer in the marketplace and put inside sales in that category as the, the company inside sales in that category. We've launched a product there as well. So I still think you're seeing new buyers. I mean, I think Pendo demonstrated, um, we're, we're an investor in Pendo. They've demonstrated the the selling to, selling to product people as a buyer. We're investors in Full Story. They've kind of taken this other this next generation analytics, and they're using it for a whole set of use cases. They're using it for service use cases, a little bit of products. It's different than Pendo. So I still think that you're finding people that are um, again new use cases, emerging buyers. You know, kind of taking a spin on something that's been done, deeper analytics. I think as you've, as, as technology's improved, you can kind of roll these analytics up and make them more actionable as well. Let's, uh, let's get into sales tech a little bit. You're seeing, and I'm curious what you think about voice. You've seen sort of, you know, gong, chorus, voice ops, sort of whole suite of companies try to yeah. tackle from sort of the voice analytics perspective. What are your, what are your thoughts there? Um, so we're big believers that that's a, we, we've long said that messaging and voice is going to be a new interface for, for particularly for mobile, but for enterprise software. Cause I mean, if particularly if you think about mobile, what happened in the first gen is people were basically taking an enterprise app and just trying to smash it all onto a little iPhone. So you just, you know, there's just not enough real estate to do that effectively. So you kind of had to have, a, um, and have to have, it's still emerging, but some combination of voice or text and artificial intelligence or some predictive capability to kind of know what you want, surface what's most important to you, what's most relevant to you. Because unless you're kind of doing a simple function, buying shoes online or something like that, it's just kind of hard to do full-scale uh, enterprise applications. And what, what you saw in before voice is you saw these like dedicated one-off like calendaring apps or, or some email apps that were focused on productivity. But it was kind of like taking a you know a CRM or something like that or a sales tool and breaking it up into bits and pieces and it just didn't it just didn't fit together but 
I think voice is still, it's not quite there, um, but I think it's going to be one of the things that really helps to unlock enterprise applications for mobile and, and with, with certain sales applications. I mean, we're, we're, we're launched something internally. We're using it right now to like, you know, if I got out of this meeting and I said, I was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sell Eric a hundred thousand dollar deal and could update, update the account instantly. So I think that that's still, emerging it's not clear that that's like a standalone standalone category it's just right. like the, it's just becoming like a better interface for enterprise yeah. applications where else on application layer investing do you guys look where at where else so we have done a lot in the industry verticals like i was yeah. saying so we've done retail a lot in retail financial services starting to dip our toes in the healthcare a little bit yeah, let's go let's go move on what's most interesting in retail is it sort of automation on the back end yeah or? so retail what essentially a lot i'd say two things Retail is, is, there's, there's two or three things. One is, um, you know, purchasing many things is still an experience. It's an experience. It's tactile. You want to go in, you want to see things, but you know, you still have to be mindful and competing with online. And so how do you, how do you still create that experience, that showroom like experience, but then get the efficiency of online? So what you're seeing is companies really utilizing their back office, their, their, not their back office, but their, their warehouses, right. the, the in-store is, is basically it's a warehouse that can also generate revenue. Um, so to the extent, the way we think about it and what we're seeing is it's a, it's a trend we're seeing a lot of the industry verticals, even in financial services. It's like, well, I have a lot of these B2C players that are coming up and, kind of going directly after me and just taking over that full experience. Amazon's the best point in case. So a lot of what we do and the way we think about it is like, how do you create these tool sets to stitch together that whole experience while also leveraging what you have, like the best asset, which is that in-store experience. And so, you know, I mentioned Narvar, but it's that like, once you come in, they know who you are, they have information about you, they can recommend things. And if you need to order something, you can get it in whichever store, whenever you can get it, you can get it delivered to you. They'll get it from another store. You don't care. You just want that, that same experience. So it's like, how do you take advantage of the, of the benefits that you have from the in-store experience and using technology? And the other thing I'd say is, I mean, you're seeing this is that the companies that don't do that are also just going to get, they're not only getting disrupted by the, the B2C companies that are coming up underneath them, but the other enterprise software companies. So it's kind of a race right now in enterprise. Like you can talk to, we have, we have customers coming in from all over the world and they're just like kind of terrified. Like they're just not terrified, but they're trying to figure out like, how do I make this digital transformation? And they recognize that to the extent they can kind of have a first mover advantage there, they'll, they'll have better margins. They'll have, they'll be more successful against their competitors as well. Yeah. And how about in financial services? Where, where are you guys investing? Um, financial is a similar thing. You saw, um, a lot of wealth management getting kind of disrupted by, you know, direct to consumer wealth management coming up from underneath. And so, there's a lot of solutions now that help um, provide wealth managers like at the low end of the market where a wealth manager maybe can't service that market that well. They can provide tool sets to create a robo like advisor. And that creates a really good lead gen for them to say, OK, as you start to move up, then you can provide like a light touch. And then if you have kind of like automated like sales solutions, yeah. you can kind of you know, engage with them in a more scalable, uh, technology augmented way and then graduating and moving people up to the full because the full wealth management, there's a person you're going to call who's going to do a lot of the more complex stuff. That's not, that's not going yeah. away. So it's just really, how do you, same thing with retail. It's like, how do you string those technologies together to, to bring the right experience to customers? And when you say you're dipping your toes in healthcare, I, how do you think about that given sort of your providers are so hard to sell to? And do you differentiate healthcare sort of from life sciences, which I've seen? We know. do. Okay. So how we do. You- um, we, we differentiate a lot healthcare, life sciences. Uh, the payers are very different than the providers. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing similar trends. 
As I spoke about before, it's definitely a little more fragmented, and I'd say the solutions tend to be a little more tend to be a little more focused on solving very discrete problems. Like we invest in a company, Kairos, that that optimizes scheduling to keep. So sometimes you go see a physician, and then they refer you to a specialist. So it's 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 kind of like how do you extend from the, uh, electronic medical records, um, sort of keep that information in house to provide better service to patients. Uh, have you touched education at all, or? Or we any have, other verticals? Ha- we have touched education, and we've looked a lot at, say, the overlap between education and workforce development. Uh, yeah. We're an investor in Guild Education. And so, I mean, it's it's kind of what we're seeing is this transformation of, of the workforce and education and, and how we're thinking about workforce development. I mean, it's kind of... You know, bring it to Salesforce. It's kind of core to what we do in terms of one of the probably most powerful things about Salesforce is that is, you know, you can become a Salesforce administrator in a matter of weeks and, and, and it's, it's very transformative and life changing from an educational perspective. You know, as, as technology is kind of creating this, it's, it's, it's magnifying the have and the have nots yeah. in many ways. And so, you know, so when there's, um, cases like Salesforce that can come in and empower people to, Earn a, earn a decent living without you know necessarily even having to go to college, um, and so there's things like that we're seeing at scale, like Guild Education, where um, a lot of their customers they have like frontline service workers, cashiers, um, people that work in amusement parks, and things like that, um, where they can get college credit, they can get they can get high school credit, they can get GEDs, they can get um all, you know all the way up to college degrees, and so you know thinking of like new models to to sort of prepare the next generation, the, the next workforce. Um, so a lot of things like that. I'm, I'm curious if either at Salesforce or your battery, did you look at any, anything that was trying to disrupt LinkedIn? Or I guess I wonder why LinkedIn has remained dominant for the last like 15, 15 plus years. LinkedIn has a created a good network effect early on. That's why I just, some, no one's been able to really replicate the, the network effect there. How, how do you think about sort of, uh, Productivity or, you know, things like superhuman or things like, like notion or the productivity space, you know, it's historically been pretty challenging and it's a pretty broad space. I mean, it means a lot of different things. Certainly companies like Reich, you know, a few of these other companies are starting to get good traction. You know, we, we spend a lot of time. We have a product quip, which is pretty interesting in terms of. I think really rethinking productivity from like an enterprise canvas as opposed to a note taking app, which is pretty interesting. I think that's, I mean, I actually think it's pretty, it's pretty interesting what they're doing just in terms of being able to embed a lot of enterprise implicate applications into one canvas. And I think, you know, it actually wasn't that obvious to me when I saw that and it took a while to kind of go through it to see how, how powerful that was. And so, um, I mean, and, and again, certainly companies like Zoom, I mean, I put that in the productivity space is certainly, certainly taking off as well. So I say, I think, yeah, I think a lot of companies are hitting, are hitting yeah. their stride there. What do you think people missed about Zoom early on? Like, why was it um, not so, so obvious? So the, the, the thing that wasn't obvious with Zoom was that when Zoom launched, it was kind of flying in the face of the conventional wisdom at the time. That's when everyone thought it was going to be web-based. That's when everyone thought that, um, WebRTC was going to become the standard. And I, I remember I was talking to Eric. I, I was supposed to have a conversation with Eric on the phone. And, and I remember I had to download an app to, to, to launch Zoom. And I was frustrated because like, because it's just like that was right at the beginning when people were having app fatigue. And I remember just how quickly when I was on BART and I stepped off BART and I remember how quickly it downloaded and how great the experience was. But I think, I think that was the thing that people missed was that it just, you know, there had been a bunch of conferencing apps. They were okay. 
How is this going to be different? He had to build his whole network of um, data centers all around the world to make this work. Yeah. And and so you just look at the cost and the expense that that was going to require. And like, is this thing really going to be differentiated? Someone's going to build right. this. And I think that's actually, that was a big part of what people missed. Yeah. And, and you guys did do Dropbox. How, how do you broadly think about sort of consumerization of of SaaS and where big companies can come. There's also this sort of no code trend that people are excited about. I mean, I think the Zoom was the company that really nailed it. Yeah. And I think what they did that a lot of others didn't do was um, they started selling to the enterprise really early. And I think that what can happen is you see companies that don't sell to the enterprise. I don't, you know, you don't always have to do this and it's a conscious decision, but I think companies that wait too long, it not only impacts your sales and go to market motion, but it impacts a lot of your product decisions. And so if you start and you wait to do that, like too long in your journey, you know, it's, it's just really hard organizationally to like, how do you get the provisioning? How do you get the security? How do you get the sharing and all of that stuff? And you just don't have a product and engineering and go to market team that's built to do that. And I think zoom was like, it's amazing that they the way they did it so early and they were able to use the demand gen from their you know freemium user base to really yeah. like generate economical sales uh at scale in the enterprise and i think that's pretty unique and I, I yeah i think you're gonna see more of that so you mentioned applications and then did you mention something in between infrastructure and applications so everything from broadly saying the orchestration of data across applications yeah. in the enterprise you know, we invested. We invested in MuleSoft that does it at scale. You know, we're moving in this direction. You're seeing companies moving more into like the resident, call it uh, resident developer, or how do you how do you take people who have um, relatively the same technical capabilities, like a Salesforce administrator, who can provision it and and still kind of do the orchestration between applications have workflow have triggers and things like that because you because everybody has this like massive amount of applications in, in the enterprise and how do you how do you manage that and connect all of those together is is, is increasingly you know becoming a focus um you know people want to kind of get to the single pane of glass you know and then if you kind of go a layer below that what's what's pretty compelling is um you know there's there's a lot of data like if you're doing any sort of analysis um there's a lot of there's a lot of just moving data and a lot of data prep that's required and that's generally you got to build a massive data lake and you have to have a team of data science and engineers and how do you have the golden record what's emerging is we're seeing some kind of really innovative ways of like creating these virtual data joins where the data can sit wherever it is um and you can kind of you know make these joins on the fly. Um, and then you have kind of solutions like I was talking about, like Alation that help, you know, whether you're in that mode or whether you're more in the mode of the historical, you know, you're creating this golden record and, and it's sitting in a database. Like, you know, there's, there's someone went through the time and energy to create it. How do you find it? How do you catalog it so that you don't have to pull in your data scientist team, your data science team and your engineers each time you can just say, Oh, there it is. And you can, you know, you can run an, uh, an analysis on top of it. What about things like looker or others or, like the BI space is that? I mean, I think just we're seeing it firsthand. We have a BI tool. It's it's been incredibly successful. It's growing incredibly fast. You're seeing this across the board. I mean, you're seeing a lot of, and I think I think what it's showing is that is that it's just it's it's if you can do that and do that well, it's just it's incredibly compelling and it provides a tremendous amount of value. Again, the point is you got to get it to the point to where. You, you got to get away from like you have your static dashboard and it has your results to, hey, I want to run some analysis. I want to slice and dice the data and you're not having to go down to your engineering team and and like do some data prep and then come back a few days later. Like it's got to be in in real time. And a lot of the companies in the space that are doing that are showing how valuable it is. Yeah. Has Salesforce invested in anything similar to Relationship IQ 
since the uh, things since like affinity or things like other no we've not we've yeah. not too close to home basically. yeah we we i mean we, and we weren't an investor in relate iq we oh, um, IQ, yeah. And, yeah and i i worked on that acquisition and you know and that that it, you know it was it was a, a crm but it was also um it had sort of the say the early beginnings of what our Einstein AI platform became. Um, and it was, it was pretty instrumental because I thought they were smart and how they went after the market in that they really thought about it product first. And then people yeah. that, that had data science capability, they were thinking about what's the product experience and then bringing like, you know, simple insights. Yeah. I think that was, that was pretty revolutionary at the time in terms of thinking, because a lot of people were coming at it from a data science and machine yeah. learning and trying to figure out what the application is. And so that was, that was pretty unique, but no, like we don't, we don't invest in any of the other, CRMs. I mean, we've been uh, invested in some, um, let's say, vertically focused CRMs that are built on our platform that are strategic to us, but a broad horizontal CRM we haven't invested in. Give us a window into how Corp Dev at Salesforce thinks and how the intersection between the venture and the Corp Dev functions. Yeah, so it really goes back to just how we think about investing. And so what we're doing is we're, we have... You know, we meet with all of our GMs from our horizontal applications, sales, service, marketing, our industry verticals, um, you know, life sciences, retail. And in the way we think about it is to the extent, you know, we're not going to build or buy anything in, in a given time, uh, time frame. We still want a partner there. Um, and again, that it goes back to the, the, you know, how Salesforce was built. It's a platform. You've got force.com. You've got app exchange. And so we're looking for best in breed partners to work with them, integrate them into the, integrate them into the platform. We can help them think about what's the best integration, um, product roadmaps and things like that. And so from that, from that standpoint, you know, we look at it from that lens. And if you look at, you know, our overall track record, we've, we've made about 300 investments historically and, you know, we've had, I think, 70 M&A transactions. We've, we've only had a handful and we've had another 16 or 17 IPOs. I need to edit these numbers, but um, good. yeah, but, uh, um, so, so it's like in some cases we will buy the companies. Um, and it certainly keeps us abreast of what's going on in the marketplace and the GMs, like they, they engage because, you know, it's just a lot of them were, were acquired in, um, through startups. They were in the startup community. And so they, they understand like what's the appropriate way to yeah. interact and engage with startups. But, but it's, it's really about, you know, as I was saying, it's like building out, like, how do we, how do we take the most innovative companies, plug them in and provide that application to our customers and yeah. like creating more of a single pane, pane of glass. So they're not having to jump from application yeah. to application. Is there a simple, cause I think Corp Dev for a lot of people is a sort of a black box in terms yeah. of how that works is uh, or MA strategy for big companies. Is it sort of, is there a sort of some caveman or, you know, simple framework where it's like, is this core to, to the company, to the company's future? Do we have the talent for it? If not, yeah. And is there something yeah, really interesting out there? It's multi-dimensional because you have to think about what's your product roadmap. What are you working on now? What are your customers asking for? What do you have, you know, what do you have budget for candidly? Like price is a factor. It's not a clean, like, I think it's one of the misnomers that, you know, when you talk to um, VCs, they think it's like this completely like, Either you're going to buy it or you're not, and you're going to buy it now for this price or you won't. And it's a really dynamic, it's a really dynamic thing that, that, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of humans, there's a lot of organizations and, and people come in and roles and people come out of roles. And so it's, it's pretty dynamic and it's not, I mean, it's very systematic and it's very procedural. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of dimensions and fluidity to it. Yeah. Any sort of plugs or things that you want to make sure that we cover that we haven't? And so this is what we're, it was influenced by, I was listening to you and, and some of the previous podcasts. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I think what you're seeing now in, in venture is, is increasingly, 
you know, you talked to a lot of people who are starting new funds or looking to start new funds and they're thinking about like, what's, you know, what's kind of the edge or how do we do, you know, what sort of an advantage? And you talk about like assimilating communities yeah. and how do you take communities and get leverage from that? And, you know, it's one of the things that we've thought a lot about. And I think that's, um, you know, it's hard to do. I mean, I think I was listening to the Keith Raboy podcast and he was saying like, you know, at scale, it's kind of the old school model still not saying that in a pejorative way, but the old school model kind of works. And I think there's people, I think there's a lot of people that are doing some clever things. Um, but that's been one of the key things that we've really focused on. Cause like, you know, just, uh, while we are strategic and, and, and there are people that, that do invite us in the cap table, it's really competitive. There's a lot of dollars out there. So we, so we have to constantly think about like, what's our edge? What's our angle? How do we, you know, how do we help? How do we create value to these, to these companies? And that's been a, you know, a long, deliberate, thoughtful process that, that we've had to go down. But I think increasingly people are coming at it like, you know, signal fire started coming at it through talent and, um, and through a data analysis, you know, you, um, you talked about founders fund and yeah. some of the others. And so I think people are becoming just a lot more thoughtful along those yeah. lines. And I think that's kind of one of the most interesting things to see yeah. how venture, how ventures emerge. Totally. And, and say more about the conclusion that you've come to at, at Salesforce in terms of how you aim to, you know, productize and community highs or. Yeah. So, I mean, we started at the very front. So we think about like, um, at first meeting, how can we be most useful along the full life cycle? And there's certain things that we do and there's certain things that we don't do. Um, you know, the things that we focused on are really how do we create product alignment with the GM to say like, oh, this would be a good product to have as part of my quiver. It'd be great if they built this kind of integration. So I have, I have someone on my team that can help think through that and consummate that. And then, you know, they can meet on a periodic update uh, basis, get updates and make sure like there's good alignment. But then that translates sometimes like to appearances at Dreamforce or, you know, kind of the next phase. Like we have, you know, a lot of enterprise customers that come through. So we've really thought about how can we, in a, in a scalable fashion, make customer introductions and put customer, put companies in front of our customers. The flip side of that is like customers come in, they want to do Silicon Valley in a box, you know, a day in Silicon Valley. So the extent you can organize that for them in a scalable way is, uh, is super helpful. You know, some of the stuff we don't really focus on talent. That's not our strong suit. We do increasingly focus a lot on like some of the operational things. So if you have questions on, you know, we try and be more tactical as opposed to like come in and reimagine your marketing or making these massive strategic decisions. But like, you know, if you want to do territory management or pricing or how do you manage best practices and deal desks, like we have experts on hand that can help, you know, facilitate those conversations and answer some of those things. So we've, we've also spent, you know, spending more time building that capability out as well. Cool. And, um, for folks listening to this podcast who are entrepreneurs or investors who want to work, uh, or with Salesforce Ventures, where, where, where might you point them? Obviously, uh, warm intros are, are, are great. Uh, you can also go onto our, uh, salesforce.com forward slash ventures and you can submit there. Yeah. Those would be the two best ways. Awesome. All right. Matt Garrett, this has been a fantastic episode. Great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 